The gospel reading today is Luke 13, 10 through 17. I am reading from the New Revised Standard Edition. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whose Satan, bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The word of God. So on the morning of September 26th, 1983, a man named Stanislav Petrov was in his office. He was sitting at his desk. He was staring at a computer screen. Stan Petrov was tired and he was stressed out this morning. He had what you would call a a stressful job. Now, some of you remember that 1983 was right at the, the height of the Cold War. The United States and the Soviet Union had tens of thousands of, of nuclear weapons pointed at each other. And the whole world knew that, that with the push of a button, the whole world could, could be ended in the blink of an eye. Stan was a, a lieutenant colonel with the Soviet Air Defense Force. His job was to sit in that office and stare at this computer that was designed, programmed, put together to warn him in case of an American nuclear attack. In other words, Stan got up every morning and he went to work knowing that he might be the person who had to pick up the telephone, call the military commanders, and start World War III, right? You could say that was a stressful job. And in September of 1983, Stan was even more stressed out than usual, and so were all of his co-workers. Just, just a few weeks earlier, the Soviet Union had mistakenly shot down a Korean airliner. They thought it was a spy plane. It wasn't a spy plane. 269 people were killed, and so the world was angry with Russia. America was angry with Russia. Nobody knew, nobody knew how the United States might respond. So Stan and his co-workers, Stan and his team had been on high alert for weeks. Every morning, Stan would go into that office. He would sit at that desk, and he would stare at that screen, not knowing what was going to happen, hoping that nothing would happen. And then on the morning of September 26, 1980, 
83, suddenly something happened. Suddenly, Stan's computer started flashing a bright red warning sign at him. It said, missile launch detected. And then seconds later, it told him that another missile had been launched, and then another, and then another, and then another, and then another. His computer told him that six American intercontinental nuclear ballistic missiles were rocketing through space, headed for the Soviet Union. Of course, Stan's heart started to beat a little bit faster. His palms got sweaty, but he didn't panic. Stan knew that his computer was was programmed to go through 30 different levels of checks and verifications if it detected something, just to make sure that it was not not a glitch, just to make sure that it was really an actual attack. And so he sat back in his chair and he prepared to wait for his computer to run through all of those checks and verifications. But a split second later, the computer came back and said, all 30 levels of checks and verifications have come back positive. We really are under attack. And that's when Stan started to panic. Now, he knew what his job was in that moment. He knew what his orders were. In that moment, Stan's job was to reach for the telephone right there next to the computer, pick up the telephone, call the Soviet military commanders, and let them know that they were under attack. He had trained for this. He had drilled for this. Stan knew exactly what he was supposed to do in that moment. He tried to reach for the phone. He tried to pick up the phone to do what he had been ordered to do. But in that moment, Stan found that he just couldn't move his hand It was as if his arm had been paralyzed. He couldn't bring himself to reach for the phone. As he tried to do what he had been ordered to do, suddenly Stan found himself thinking about what would happen if he did pick up that phone. He knew that if he called in this attack, he knew that with minutes to make a a decision, the military leaders would do the militarily safe thing. And the political leaders would do the politically smart thing. They would order an immediate massive counterattack. Within minutes, thousands of nuclear weapons would be raining from the sky. The world would be reduced to a a pile of radioactive rubble. And, And as he thought about what might happen, suddenly Stan hesitated. He sat back in his chair and he stopped and he took a deep breath and he started to think. He started to ask questions. Something felt wrong to Stan. Something about this didn't strike him as as quite right. He wondered if the Americans were really going to launch a a surprise attack. Would they only send six missiles? He knew that the Americans had more than 20,000 nuclear weapons pointed at the Soviet Union. Why would they only send six? Stan wondered. And and he thought, he wondered, maybe maybe that computer went through those 30 levels of checks just a little bit bit too quickly. The computer was new. The whole system was new. Stan didn't completely trust it. And so as he was sitting there in his chair, Stan realized that he had, he had a decision to make. He had to decide whether to pick up the phone and start World War III or just to sit back in his chair and wait and see what happened. And finally, Stan Petrov made his decision. He sat back in his chair and he waited. Now, Stan Petrov knew that it would take 23 minutes for a a nuclear missile to go from the United States all the way to the Soviet Union. And so he watched the clock on his wall. He counted down the minutes, and then he counted down the seconds, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. When he reached zero, he braced himself. He waited for sirens to go off. He waited for a flash of light. He waited to be turned into a pile of radioactive dust. He waited for something dramatic 
to happen, but instead nothing happened. Seconds went by and nothing happened. Then minutes went by and nothing happened. And finally Stan Petrov did reach for the phone. He picked up the phone and he called not the Russian military commanders, but the building's IT department. And he reported a a possible glitch in his computer. Well, it turned out that the whole thing had been just sort of the result of a freak weather pattern. Uh, The sun had reflected off some clouds high above North Dakota in a way that fooled some satellites into thinking that that missiles had been launched. Of course, the whole thing was very embarrassing for the, the Russian military. They buried the story and they buried it deep. It wasn't until a decade later that that the truth came out. It wasn't until 10 years later that the world learned about Stan Petrov and just how close all of us had come to, to nuclear Armageddon. When the story came out, Stan became a kind of hero. People started calling him the man who saved the world. What a wonderful thing to be called, the man who saved the world. Stan Petrov died last year, just about a year ago, at the age of, at the age of 77. Before he died, he said something that I thought was fascinating. In an interview with a reporter, Stan Petrov said this, he gave us this insight. He said he believed, he believed that if any other member of his team had been sitting at that desk that morning, if he had missed a shift this morning, there's no doubt in his mind that history would have happened very differently. You see, there was something that set Stan apart. There was something that made him different from every other member of his team. Every other member of Stan's team was a lifelong military career officer. All of them had gone straight from high school into the military. They had spent their formative years learning how to respect authority and follow orders and do as they were told to do. But what made Stan different was that he hadn't gone into the military right out of, right out of high school. Instead, he'd gone to college, got a degree in engineering, spent some years working. In, in what the Russians had that was the equivalent of the private sector. And so he said, well, all of my co-workers were learning how to obey orders and follow procedures. I was being taught how to stop and think and ask questions. Say, does this make sense? What's really going on here? He said that made all the difference. In a building filled with people who had been trained to follow rules and obey procedures, I had been taught to stop and think and ask questions, and that That was the thing that saved the world. I remember when I read that interview, I remember when I heard Stan's story, I I got to wondering, maybe maybe you're wondering the same thing right now. I asked myself this question, do you think that we as a church are training the next generation of Stan Petrovs? Would you say that in the church we are training people to to stop and to think and to ask questions? Would you say that in the church we are, are training people to be the thinkers that this world needs in moments of crisis? Or would you say that churches are a place where we teach people to defer to authority, to follow leaders, to do as they're told to do? It's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? Well, remember the first time I asked myself that question, I said, I'm not sure I really actually want to know what the answer is. Think about what it is that we do here on Sunday mornings. In churches all around the world on Sunday morning, a guy stands up. In the United Methodist Church, thank God, we have, we have women in our pulpits on, on many Sundays. But still in most churches around the world, it's a guy who stands up on Sunday morning. And that guy is called by a, a special title. Maybe in that church he's called the, the reverend. Do you know what the word reverend means? I looked this up. The word reverend, it comes from a Latin word that means the one who must be respected. The one who who is to be revered. I kind of like that. Maybe maybe in your church they call that guy the pastor. Do you know what the word pastor means? I looked this up too. The word pastor, again, comes from a Latin word that means shepherd. If the guy is the shepherd, do you know what that makes you out there in the pews that makes you... <laughs> 
That makes you the sheep. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? In churches all around the world on Sunday morning, a guy stands up, the, the reverend, the shepherd, stands up, and he's wearing a black robe like he's some kind of a judge. The guy, the reverend, the shepherd, stands up wearing a long black robe, and he gets up on some sort of an elevated platform that literally raises him above everybody else in the congregation. And then the guy, the shepherd, the reverend, he starts to talk about God. He goes on and on about God this and God that for the next half hour and nobody is allowed to interrupt him. Nobody is allowed to get up and leave. Nobody else is even allowed near the microphone. And the weird thing is we all act like this is perfectly normal. We act like this guy in the long black robe, the reverend, the shepherd standing up there on the platform, we all act like he knows what he's talking about even though we know that that guy hasn't seen God face to face any more than any of the rest of us have. And then when the guy is finally finished talking, when he's finished going on and on and on, what do we do? We stand up and we sing a song. We pick up our hymnals and we turn to number 467 and we all sing together, trust and obey. You don't need to open up your hymnals. You know the words. Sing it, sing it with me. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The truth is, the hard truth, the uncomfortable truth is that most churches are not exactly schools of free thinking and revolution. The truth is most churches are places where people are taught to respect authority, defer to authority, follow the rules, obey orders. Religious people are just the same as they always have been. Religious people, people like me, love rules. We love traditions. We love to follow procedures. And that is what makes Jesus so unusual. When we read the Gospels, when we read the stories of Jesus, we see that Jesus is a deeply religious person. Jesus loves to talk about God all the time. Jesus is constantly going off so he can have some some private time in prayer with God. Jesus never misses worship in the synagogue on the weekends. And yet, at the same time, Jesus has this deep skepticism about religious authorities and religious leaders. Beware of men who wear long black robes, Jesus says to his disciples. Beware of men who come to you wanting you to call them by fancy titles, Jesus says. Beware of men who like to sit or stand in places of honor. Over and over again, Jesus warns his disciples about the dangers of of following religious leaders. And so, of course, a guy who goes around saying that sort of thing day after day is going to end up in conflict with those same religious leaders. And that is what we see in the Gospels. Jesus is constantly in conflict with the religious authorities of his day because they feel like he just isn't taking the rules seriously enough. That's what we see happening in this morning's gospel reading. In today's reading, Jesus is in the synagogue. It's the Sabbath. It's the the Jewish day of of rest and worship. And so Jesus is gathered there with, with the congregation. On this particular Sabbath day, Jesus has been invited to be the guest preacher. And so the the leader of the synagogue calls Jesus forward. Jesus walks up to the front of the synagogue. He steps up onto the platform, onto the the place of honor, and then he begins reading from the scriptures. And then Jesus steps away from the scriptures, and he starts preaching to the people, teaching them about God. But as Jesus is preaching, he sees somebody slip in the back door. He sees a woman come in the back door, and this woman, she's, she's bent over at the waist, and he can see from her face that she is tired, and she is 
in pain. And Jesus, somehow up there at the front of the synagogue, he knows her story. We don't know how Jesus knows her story. Maybe he got tipped off. Maybe the leader of the synagogue said to him before the worship service, now Jesus, don't be surprised if a lady comes in the back and makes a commotion and interrupts you while you're preaching. That's just, that's just Bertha. She does that every week. She's got this thing. She's had it for 18 years. It's hard for her to get around quickly, and so she's almost always late for worship. Maybe Jesus got tipped off, or maybe this is just one of those things that, that Jesus knows. We don't know how, but somehow Jesus looks at this woman, and he knows her entire story. He knows her life's story story. And Jesus, when he sees her come in the back door all bent over, Jesus suddenly has compassion for her. And so Jesus stops what he's doing. He stops the sermon and he calls out to her. He says, you, yes, you, come on, come on forward. Come on up here. And so slowly the woman makes her way through the congregation. She makes her way up to the front of the synagogue. And then Jesus helps her to get up into the platform, up onto the, the place of honor. And then, and then Jesus says to her, he says, woman, you have been set free. He places his hands on her bent and twisted back, and he gives her a blessing. And in that moment, suddenly she snaps up straight. Suddenly her back is unbound, and she just like Malin did. That's exactly how I imagine that she starts to, to dance and wave her arms in the air and sing praises to God. And, of course, the people of the congregation, they are astonished. They can't believe what has just happened. They start praising God as well. All the people in the synagogue put their hands up, and they start shouting, shouting hallelujahs to God every Everybody in the synagogue is ecstatic with praise. Everybody except for the leader of the synagogue. As the people are shouting and praising God, the leader of the synagogue, the man in the long black robe, has got a frown. He's got a scowl on his face. And as the organist starts launching into an impromptu hymn of praise and the people start to clap their hands and sing, suddenly the leader of the synagogue starts waving his arms in the air. And he says, no, 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 stop, stop, everybody, stop. And so everybody stops. And then the leader of the synagogue steps to the microphone and he says, listen. He says, I think all of us have lost sight of what is truly important here. He says, a serious sin has just been committed. One of God's rules has been broken in God's own house. I don't want any of you to miss what just happened. He said, you know that God has commanded us that the Sabbath is to be a holy day, a day of rest. God has commanded us that no work should be done on the Sabbath. He said, this is not just a little commandment. This is one of the big commandments. This is one of the ten commandments that God gave to Moses on the top of the mountain. This is one of the commandments that goes all the way back to Charlton Heston, he says. And you know, you know that for centuries the rabbis have all agreed that no work also means no healing. He says there are six other days of the week when you can come and be healed. He says come on those days, but respect God's rules in God's house on God's day. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And as he's talking, you get the impression that this is a guy who likes the, the sound of his own voice. Believe me, I know of which I speak, right? This is, this is a man who is, who is not used to being interrupted. He's used to having the microphone. He's used to getting the last word in. But if the leader of the synagogue thinks, 
thinks he's going to get the last word in on this particular subject, on this particular Sabbath, then he doesn't really know Jesus at all. As the, the synagogue leader is, is preaching and speaking and scolding the people, Jesus gets angrier and angrier. And finally, Jesus just can't contain himself. And he turns to the leader of the synagogue and he shouts, you hypocrites. Notice he doesn't say you hypocrite. He says, you hypocrites. In this moment, Jesus is not just talking to that guy. He's not just talking to that leader of that synagogue. He's talking to all of the guys who wear long black robes and like to be called by fancy titles and sit in places of honor and tell people that God will be mad at you if you don't follow the rules. You hypocrites, Jesus says to the leader of the synagogue. He says, let me ask you a question. Do you have a donkey? And the leader of the synagogue says, well, yes, of course I have, have a donkey. And Jesus says, let me ask you this. On the Sabbath day, if your donkey is thirsty, what do you do? And the leader of the synagogue says, why, well, untie my donkey and lead it to the water trough so it can drink. And Jesus says, of course you do. You have compassion on the donkey. You have mercy upon the donkey. You bend the rules because you know that nobody wants to live in a world of dehydrated, cranky donkeys. He said, if you are allowed to bend the rules to have mercy and show compassion for your donkey, then how much more should we bend the rules for this woman? He says, if you are allowed to untie your donkey, why can I not untie this woman who has been bound by her affliction for 18 long years. Why should she have to suffer a minute longer to satisfy your love of the rules and your ego, you there in the long black robe standing in the place of honor? Can you see why this story makes people like me deeply uncomfortable? Can you see why this story makes people like me squirm in our pulpits? The truth is I love rules and authority and, a preacher and procedures just as much as the next preacher. You don't get standing up here wearing a long black robe unless you love all of those things. I love the rules, the laws, the commandments that God has given us. But in this story, Jesus is saying there will be moments when the rules, the authorities, the procedures, even the good and God godly ones will get in the way of loving God's children. Jesus says there will be moments when you have to choose between showing compassion or following the rules. There will be moments when you have to choose between relieving the suffering of another human being and following the rules and doing what you are told to do. Jesus says in that moment, in that moment, remember, never forget for an instant that God loves people more than God loves rules. And then you'll know what to do. Let's pray. God, give us wisdom. God, give us courage. God, help us to know when the good and godly thing to do is to bend even the good and godly rules for the sake of another human being. God, make us people of compassion that we might even save the world alongside you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.